You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Creative Vast Arts has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Be like Ryan. That's his real name. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, April 15th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And from a sunny SoCal spring, I'm Roger Chang, the show's producer. All righty, folks. Uh, we are going to follow up on something we asked you about last week. We got some folks writing in telling us why they do or do not use smart speakers. Uh, we're all going to talk about our own accommodations uh, to those and, and what our feelings are about that. But let's start with a few tech things you should know. As expected, the European Union voted to give final approval to the copyright directive. 19 EU countries approved the directive with Finland, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Poland and Sweden opposing and Belgium, Estonia and Slovenia abstaining. EU countries now have two years to pass laws that conform to the directive iOS 13 is the assumed star of Apple's annual Worldwide Developers Conference coming up June 3rd, probably along with Mac OS. Sources tell 9to5Mac that the update will include dark mode and multiple window functionality for the iPad. iOS 13 might also introduce a new standard three-finger tap undo gesture for text input on the iPad. And Safari on iOS 13, according to these sources, would automatically ask for a desktop version of websites on the iPad when necessary. Other updates might be font management, smarter mail, and a redesigned reminders app as well. Bots from OpenAI defeated the world champion Dota 2 Team OG in a best of three series. OpenAI limited the hero selection to 17 per squad, used the Captain's Draft game mode, which lets uh, teams ban specific heroes from being selected, and disabled summoning and illusion features for the matches. Each bot had been trained using deep reinforcement learning and operated independently in the match. OpenAI will open the system for the public to play for three days starting on April 18th, right around the corner, and will focus on software to allow AI bots to collaborate alongside humans in real time. All right, let's talk a little bit more about a rumor that Microsoft might be getting into the headphone game. 
Man, it's all the rage, isn't it? Mm. Brad Sams over at Therat.com reports that Microsoft is developing a pair of wireless earbuds, codenamed Morrison, according to sources. Potential pricing and a release date are unknown, and Microsoft is reportedly also working on a way to improve interactions between a phone and the earbuds to make reading easier about what that would seem like. The name Surface Buds is being tossed around, according to Sam's, but whether that will stick is yet unknown. Now, the Surface headphones uh, were codenamed Joplin, like uh, either Janice and or Scott, uh, Joplin, <laughs> depending so, on, on who you yes. ask. So, uh, but so, music. So, somebody hung out in the 60s. Uh, Music-related Joplin. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and then, well, Scott Joplin wouldn't have been in the 60s. He was like way back in right. Well, I was thinking Janice and then yeah. Jim Morrison. Well, with the, what I was saying was <laughs> Surface headphones were either Scott or Janice Joplin. And I was getting oh, okay. to what you just said, which is Morrison probably implies Jim Morrison. So expect a lot of Doors music in the ads. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean... I love the idea of Microsoft providing another alternative out there in the wireless earbud space. I love wireless earbuds where you just put them in and they work. Yep. I'm curious this this thing that uh, Brad wrote about them the reading. using the headphone to make the reading easier. Would it be like reading to you while you're – I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean I, I – Obviously, anybody who follows DTNS knows that I'm I'm in the middle of testing out some some earbuds for for a later for a later dump on what, uh, why they're good and why they're not. Um, and for the most part, you know, I I have a lot of positive things to say, but I was like, huh? How would re like how? Hmm. I mean, would the assistant be reading things to me? Because that's not well, really thing super you, like, novel. Touch a word and it'll tell you how to pronounce it or give you definitions i'm I'm curious i'm very curious yeah, yeah. same send yeah. along your speculations to feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com please do uh you can uh find all kinds of reviews of the samsung galaxy fold out there today i uh, read through a bunch of them and the consensus is you can see and feel the crease a little more than people expected when it is in its tablet mode but it mostly disappears when you're looking at it head on and you just barely feel it when you're swiping. Pretty much everybody said you get used to it really fast. And all these folks just got their hands on it for a few hours at most. Nobody likes the notch where the cameras are up in the corner, but everybody said the hinge is, is really solid, really stable. Uh, the tablet does lay flat when it's unfolded. The fingerprint sensor is on the Bixby button, which threw a few reviewers off because they expect the fingerprint sensor on the power button, which it's not. 4.6-inch front screen generally felt small to most of the people I read. Also, while it can fit in a pocket, some people are like, yeah, it fits pretty well. Other people are like, this did not fit in my pocket. Maybe it depended on the size of the pockets of the person who's trying it out. I don't know. Uh, app continuity, which is what expands the app from the small screen when you unfold it to the bigger one, seems to work well for the apps it's been designed for. Those are all the Google apps, I think Spotify, WhatsApp, a few other apps, but not every app has it. Uh, if you don't recall, the Samsung Galaxy Fold has that 4.6-inch screen on the front and a 7.3-inch screen when unfolded. It's shipping April 26th for $1,980. Uh, Brian Heater from TechCrunch said, The Fold's not perfect, but it's a pretty solid first take at a new smartphone paradigm. Jessica Dalcourt over at CNET said, On the whole, the Fold feels like a premium, cohesive device. Lauren Good at Wired said, Samsung is acknowledging that this thing isn't for everyone. 
and they're right. She's like, I don't think I'm going to buy one. Uh, the Verge's Dieter Bones said, a small tablet that happens to fold up is how he would describe this. Not a phone that you can turn into a tablet. He's like, it's a tablet that you can fold up and put in your pocket. And Jeffrey Fowler over at the Washington Post said, the question is, how many people really need an Android tablet with them at all times? Well, you know, I think I think the Verge's uh, explanation of this is a small tablet that you can make smaller and take with you on the go would be the selling point for me. Because the whole idea of like, well, the notch is a little weird and, you know, the, the, you know, the way that it folds is, you know, this or that. It's like, if this is a all in one device and I've decided to, you know, go with the bigger form factor, knowing that I can, you know, put it in a pocket, uh, you know, if I'm not wearing my skinniest jeans, blah, 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 then, then great. I, I, I think that that is actually that actually makes a lot of sense to me rather than how this is not a tablet, not a phone, or maybe it's both. There were a couple of comments out there too, of people saying, you know what? 7.3 inch tablet isn't real common these days. I forgot how handy that is uh, to have a smaller tablet yeah. for certain things. I missed the, uh, my my Google Nexus, which was seven inches uh, because it was a great way to read books that felt like a paperback, uh, even though it was a tablet. Uh, I also know, I think it was Dieter Bone from The Verge, I may be wrong on this, uh, said that you can still use it even when it's partly unfolded. So like you don't have to fold it flat. It still works in the tablet mode. Even, so you can hold it like a paperback and read it that mm. way, which I'm like, well, I wonder cool. if that'll come in useful. Anyway, uh, to, a, it's a $2,000 item that I will, uh, as much as I'm tempted to try it out, not be getting, mostly because I, I just didn't want to go through all of the hurdles you had to get go through to order one for the privilege to give them a thousand nine hundred dollars uh but i i jury's still out i still think there might be an unexpected function to this it might end up just being a flash in the pan i don't know i don't know it's funny we're you know we're still at that point where we're all like how is this going to be better for us Mm -hmm. we don't know yet none of us have one you know so it's like you get the initial reviews and people have their things to say and you take that into account if you read tech news as we do and then you kind of yeah i'm kind of like well, i want to try it yeah but i don't know if i need it i wonder if uh like you say i because the washington post also said it feels like it's a tablet not a phone i wonder if it ends up just being an option for tablets like they'll when tablets come out there'll be a few different sizes and there'll be one and two versions that are foldable if you want that uh because yeah. it's easier storage I- Imagine a world where we're like, remember when the iPad came out and like tablets didn't tablets fold, fold up? Back then. They were so just weird. big. Yeah. You just had to yeah. deal with them. It like, may not, not be a new form factor. It may just be a feature for tablets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on, Microsoft notified an unknown number of affected Outlook.com users on Friday that malicious actors could have viewed account information from January 1st through March 28th of this year, thanks to a compromised credentials from a support agent. That agent has not been named. The majority of users were informed that account email addresses, folder names, and uh, subject lines of emails were also visible. Less than 6% of affected accounts were notified that the bad actors could have had unauthorized access to the content of their email accounts. Motherboard says that some compromised accounts were used to reset iCloud accounts linked to stolen iPhones. I know you want to name and shame that customer support agent, but can you imagine how bad you'd feel if you're the one who got spearfished? Yeah. The result of this? No. I mean, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, that's where the biggest breaches come from. And the fact that there is content of your emails 
in, in a small number of cases, but 6%, you know, up to 6%. That's still a lot of cases. And because it was used uh, to get iPhones, this all comes back to not a tech breach. This comes back to a human breach where somebody was there there wasn't a a piece of security there wasn't a piece of technology uh that failed it was it was somebody got tricked and it's easy to throw stones yeah. at them but all of us have been close to being tricked or some of us out there probably have been tricked uh and and are embarrassed to admit it absolutely and before the show Roger and Tom and I were talking like do you have outlook.com email addresses i mean maybe maybe not I do because I was forced to at some point because Hotmail went away and that was like the way that I was able mm. to port over a bunch of information that I had in the past. So this is not something that this is a dormant account for the most part, but it is an account that I have and it was something that I had kind of forgotten about. I definitely still have one because I have an Xbox Live account. Well, I have an there Xbox Live account yeah. too, but I don't have an Outlook.com. I don't use an Outlook.com account. I, you don't have to have Outlook to use Xbox Live. No, right? but I I had it before, and that's just what it tied it to. So mm, Okay, I see. Uh, Stars, the television service, recently uh, had a lot of uh, screeners of upcoming episodes of shows that hadn't been released leaked online. Uh, they did what a lot of companies do in this situation. It's They're not the first to have it happen. They hired a third party to go track down uh, uh, copies of them being posted with authorization and, and get them take down under the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. However, the third party they hired was a little too ambitious, uh, to the point that Starred has had to issue an apology Monday for ordering Twitter to remove two posts, and probably more, with links to articles about the TV show piracy that I just talked about. Stars said their third-party copyright enforcement company was a little overzealous, uh, Torrent Freak had a tweet linking to their story taken down. The story from Torrent Freak merely mentioned that piracy of Star's content had occurred. It did not link to the sources of the piracy or name sites hosting infringing content. It did include limited screenshots in order to illustrate watermarks that showed that these were screener copies, which was relevant to the story. And a tweet with a link to a follow-up story about the tweet being taken down was also taken down. Uh, a number of other journalists, including Columbia Journalism Review Chief Digital Writer Matthew Ingram, also had their tweets removed. Uh, and a, there's a lot of frustration out there about the fact the way the DMCA is supposed to work, if Stars comes to you and says, take this down, it has my copyright, you take it down. And if someone says, no, it doesn't, they're wrong, you put it back up. And people like Matthew Ingram are saying, you know, I, I, I let them know two days ago that there was nothing infringing about what they took down and they haven't got back to me. Yeah, before the show, I had mentioned this seems like a really weird story. And you were like, no, it's actually pretty cut and dry. It's just the players involved that makes the story interesting. Yeah, this happens a lot. Uh, it doesn't always happen to Torrent Freak, although it actually happens to Torrent Freak quite a bit. It usually doesn't happen to this number of journalists at once. Uh, but these companies, yeah. these third-party companies, they always cast their nets wide. That's one of the problems with the DMCA is they can just say, take something down because they're covering their butts. Like we don't want to, we want to make sure we get as many of these copies down as possible. So we're not worried about false positives. And that, that's a problem with the law. It's been a problem with the law for a long time. Would you like to talk about very large airplanes? Yes. Good. The largest airplane ever created took off on Saturday, 45 minutes after sunrise in the Mojave Desert. That's in California. Strato Launch has been working on the plane for eight years. It has an 835-foot wingspan. Three, with 300, twin 385. 
three. You've what did I say? The, you've played, you said 835. Oh, <laughs> no, that would be very cool. But we'll go with 385 foot wingspan with twin <laughs> fuselages and six engines. It reached 189 miles per hour and flew up to 17,000 feet above during its 15 minute, 150 rather minute test flight. The Strato launch can carry 250 ton rockets up to 35,000 feet where the engines can ignite and enter space. This is a very cool plane. Since it can take off from airports, that would open up more rocket launch opportunities as well. The project has been founded and funded by Paul Allen, who passed away last October. Yeah, so it was a bittersweet moment for a lot of folks working on it, uh, since Paul Allen couldn't be there to to see it come to fruition. But uh, it it was a, a great test. Uh, people were, were very happy with how the test went, uh, and it could reduce the cost of launching. They had partnered with SpaceX at one point, but that partnership uh, fell apart. Now they're they're partnering with Northrop Grumman. Uh, and there's also competition out there. Virgin Galactic wants to do similar operations, and they'll be testing their own version of this. Uh, I believe they use Boeing 747-type engines, uh, and the, the Virgin one will be doing that as well. So Stratolaunch does face a little uncertainty now that Paul Allen's gone, because he was the guarantee of future funding, and they're a little uncertain about that going forward. But uh, man, biggest biggest plane ever, three hundred eighty five foot wingspan, uh, taken off to to help us have easier access to space. Yeah, um, and also, how would that change? Like, you know, just just using this as a model going forward, how does that change our international airports? Is there a you know a terminal where it's like, oh, that's the rocket terminal where they yeah. go? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question, right? Because uh, right now, if you go to big airports, uh, a lot of times you'll see the cargo area, right? Uh, sometimes you won't. Sometimes it's it's separated enough that you can't see it. But a lot of times it's fun if you can see it to be like, oh, there's the UPS plane. Like, will there be? A, a sort of similar situation where you're looking at and like, oh, there's the 385 foot wingspan right. straddle yeah. launch. Yeah. Uh, getting ready oh, to they're going to space take today. Take a rocket cool. up and there it goes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be so cool to be able to just watch I know. essentially a rocket launch. You're not seeing the rocket part of the rocket launch yet because that happens up in the stratosphere. But yeah, yeah. Um, that would, that, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it. Just, you know, your your uh, airport lounge seating will be <laughs> much more. Yeah. Have another right. consideration in the future. T- TSA pre is more meaningful now. Yeah. You can get into the rocket terminal. Well, if you're not going on the rocket, I doubt they're going to let you yeah. in the terminal, sir. It'll probably well, be just, I know. it'll probably be a satellite or two or a <laughs> Yeah, dozen. it's not manned rockets. It's just, it's satellites. It's, uh, it's, it's a really, it's, what makes it so impressive is, I mean, been doing this for decades. I mean, the Pegasus rocket was one of the big ones where they would launch it from the air and it would, you, you would ideally skip a one third of the travel up and not have to build the stage for that. Uh, but it's just as the sheer weight that it can carry. I mean, it was a 250, yeah, 250 tons? ton rockets is what it that, can carry. That, I think it's a 1.3 billion pounds, million pounds. That's, uh, I mean, that's a significant upgrade from, from similar systems right now. So, you know, if they can get it, I mean, ideally it's supposed to reduce the amount that uh, launching would cost, yeah, but 1.3 uh, million yeah. pounds. It's definitely takeoff weight. So, and especially since you don't have to carry the propellant for the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. It reduces the fuel a bit, too. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com.
All right. Last week, Jesse, a.k.a. Hometown Rival, asked our opinions on the security of voice speakers. And then Thursday, we had that story about uh, the reviewing of your voice recordings on Amazon. Uh, So we did put out the call last week for the DTNS crowd to let us know what they think. And we've got a representative sample of your emails, as well as our own perspectives on whether or not we like to use smart speakers, and if we do, how we approach that and what our security thoughts are from that. This this all goes back to having Laura Shin on the, the show a week ago Friday uh, when she said that she didn't want any smart speakers in her house because she just doesn't think that's uh, that she trusts the security of them yet. So let's start with Tony. Tony is an IT consultant whose clients often ask about smart speakers. Tony says, I typically tell them, You must weigh the value of the data with the security precautions you take. Classic security answer and a a good one from Tony. Uh, Tony says, if you're a person who regularly deals with confidential data, such as medical information, industrial trade secrets, or national security, your data becomes much more valuable. In this case, you would be a fool to have one of these devices within earshot as there is a lot more motivation to tap into it. Um, But he said, most of us probably don't have anything to worry about. Got another uh, email from KV in Windy, Virginia, who says, most of the time I use this as a developer toy. Hmm. The APIs for Echo, in my case, are fun to mess with. Paradoxically, I don't really use it day to day as I find voice interaction awkward and or slow for most tasks that are one or two taps away. Also, due to personal concerns about privacy, transparency, and risks of accidental capture with others in the house, it's either mostly muted or unplugged. Ah, I, the, the developer who likes to play with it also knows the dangers. I like that. Uh, Nick wrote, after switching to Android and being clued into the My Activity section of Google settings, having a history of everything I've ever done with a Google product, I was officially creeped out. I was also upset that I wasn't told about the data collection up front. I am not going to put a smart speaker in my house. If I could use a smart speaker without fear of data collection, I'd reconsider my position as the idea of asking for some music or a podcast to be played in the background appeals to me. I use Google's My Activity page to regularly prune what Google knows about me, but I wish I didn't have to as it's a chore. And Jesse, a.k.a. Hometown Rival, who kicked off this entire conversation, gave us a little bit more insight on on, on how Jesse's setup looks. Uh, Jesse wrote, my family has three smart speakers, an Amazon Echo in the living room, and a Google Home in the kitchen and master bedroom. We mainly use them for setting timers, turning smart switches on and off, adjusting our Nest thermostat, and asking an occasional question. Every once in a while, I'll play music or cast a podcast from my phone. I'll have some privacy concerns with these speakers. My wife has more to help with this. I just installed an app called Jumbo that makes it easy to erase saves recordings. Yeah, so Jumbo promises to go delete your social media uh, data collection. Thing about this is, and Jesse, you where have into where, this. where does it go with Jumbo? Though I know you have to give Jumbo uh-huh. access to your accounts to do this, and I don't know who's behind Jumbo. Jumbo is by Twenty One Twenty One Atelier Incorporated. I don't know anything about them. I haven't spent a lot of time looking into them either. Uh, so I'm not going to, you know, judge Jesse for this. I'm, I'm sure he he feels safe with them. But that is one of the things is uh, if you're using something to manage your data, then you have to make sure you trust the company that you're using to manage your data for you. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Sarah? Uh, you've got some voice activated stuff. You, you mentioned your Sonos speakers. How'd- I do. Yeah, I, I have. I have two Sonos ones, um, which use 
Amazon's assistant um, currently, um, and I they're they're in two different parts of the house, so they they don't have like issues with each other. You know, it's it's depending on where I am, the 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 right speaker will will wake um, when I when I ask the weather, but you know, I kind of do the same stuff every day. You know, I I play uh, certain certain news clips. I mean, people who listen to daily tech headlines talk about how smart speakers are actually a really great way to get that. I have my own. I ask the weather first thing I do before I get out of bed every morning. I could look at my phone, but I enjoy hearing her just tell me what the weather is supposed to be like today. But I know that I'm not really using it to its full potential. For the most part, these are just good speakers that I play music on. Do you worry about it eavesdropping on you, keeping recording? You know, I think that I I would worry about it the same way that I would worry about it if I were to cover up the 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 camera, um, you know, the eyesight camera on my laptop, the way some people do and have great reasons, and a lot of other people are like, eh, don't care. I'm one of the don't cares. Um, I, I, I feel like there, the, the capacity for there to be data collected on me that I don't know about is high, but I, I also just don't, I don't know. I, I don't feel super paranoid about the smart speaker stuff. I, I, and I know that there have been, I mean, and we've talked about this on the show with Amazon in particular, like situations where someone's like, I just got a hundred hours of someone else's you know, uh, uh, echo, uh, um, you know, what, what they were talking to their speaker about, you know, this is crazy, you know, and Amazon's like, we're sorry, that was really crazy. That was very much a mistake and an anomaly. So those sorts of things would be embarrassing the way that someone reading my email would be maybe a little bit embarrassing, but like, eh, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to get up in arms about this sort of thing because I'm just so used to there being data issues with every single thing that I use always. Roger, what about you? Um, so I only have a Google Shield, so it's it, but it has Google uh, Voice Assistant on it. And honestly, I'm kind of 50-50. Like, it makes some chores a little faster, especially when I'm searching for things for the kids to watch. But in other things, it's actually more cumbersome because to use it, you need to have a very clear, like it needs to be able to understand you. Really hard to understand you when you have a four-year-old girl screaming in your right ear, <laughs> right? So That's a good point. Like yeah. she, I'll say something, she'll say something else, and then it'll just basically be a mishmash of the two words. So Yeah, um, and you get and, like, sorry, I didn't get that. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of convenience, <laughs> it's 50-50. I'm also a little reluctant uh, to use more of it um, purely out of privacy concerns. But, you know, at the same time, I don't would I wouldn't really use too much of it anyway. I'm not a big fan of voice acted anything. I don't know. I'm just yeah, just that I, way. I, I'm very aware that it could be recording uh, what I say. I do regularly look at my settings to see like, OK, turn off the lights, uh, add tortillas to shopping list, uh, play my flash briefing, play today's hits like I get I see what it's doing. I see no weird recordings except around where I ask them something like Alexa skip. Uh, is something that I said. And then after that, it's text not available because it kept listening. Um, 
you know, a few things like that. Uh, I don't put it in any rooms that I really am sure I don't want it to hear anything. Uh, but I, I don't have a huge problem trying it out. And I, I try to keep up on what the security issues actually are. And up until now, I, you know, as long as I'm careful about where I'm talking about sensitive things, uh, I find the convenience of being able to, you know, manage shopping lists and play music to be worth it. So that's, uh, that's it. That's all we got. That's all we got. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, this is a long conversation and I know we're going to get good feedback after this from people who, you know, have their own feelings about it. And I thought, you know, good, good point that you make. Like there are certain rooms where, things might be talked about and certain rooms that they might not be. And I was like, even when you said that just now, I was like, yeah, you know, I should maybe think a little bit more about that. That, that could alleviate uh, potential concerns just on the basis of like where I do work or it's sensitive work anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's all about just being aware. Don't forget that you've got a mic in your room. I guess part of the thing is I do podcasts. I've got mics in my room all the time. So having another right. one that's connected to yeah. a speaker where I can see, and I trust the audits that it is showing me everything it's recorded. And sometimes the blue light goes on and I notice it and I'm like, why are you on? Uh, so, you know, if you're aware of it, I think it's, I think it's a, an acceptable risk to take as long as you know, you're taking it. Well, thanks, everybody who participates in our subreddit. There are a lot of smart speaker stories in our subreddit, and there are a lot of other stories as well. You can submit your own and vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Also, we're on Facebook. If you hang out on Facebook, join our group if you haven't already. Facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. All right. We did have a lot of mail already, but uh, we have some mail that isn't about <laughs> smart speakers, Sarah, right? We- we did. Yeah. The, this one comes from somebody who declined to be named, which is fine. But this was about the idea of iTunes possibly being rebranded. iTunes going away. Apple um, um, <clears throat> making music and movies and gaming and all of that stuff um, uh, discrete apps. So said, I'm not sure I fully understand how iTunes can smoothly be discontinued by Apple. I have to agree that it's messy and I could use an overhaul and even possibly separations of functions. But am I missing something? How can we manage music files without an iTunes-type app to sync our music to iPods and iPhones? How can we add music files from other sources like files bought on Amazon or that were free downloads from an artist or even just imported from CDs? I love that I can do physical backups of my iPhone to my computer. I prefer to do that with my parents and grandparents' iPads as well. If anything goes wrong, it's so much easier to restore from iTunes than try to do an iCloud restore. Also, an encrypted iTunes restore includes all of the passwords so we don't have to enter them all again. I think iTunes needs some fixing and retooling, but I certainly won't be celebrating if it's done away with. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet 
strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. And there's no way offered for these things, other way offered for these things. Am I missing something? Yeah, you're missing. I, I said this when we talked about them adding a TV app and a music app and a podcast app. It's like they just need to add a sync app. And then we're good. Then we don't need iTunes anymore. Uh, but but that is the one thing they need to add is some kind of sync management app. If they added that, then you don't need iTunes. Because If they do what we heard they might do, which is take all the other functions and separate them out into apps, just just give me a sync app uh, and we're done. We're out of here. But, but, I, but, but the I email is I, right. That is, that is a function left in iTunes that we haven't heard about them replacing. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's a good reminder because, you know, somebody like me is always like, I hate the word iTunes. Makes no sense. It's, iTunes is all about other things now. You know, rebrand it. Make it different. But it's good to be reminded of how well it works in its capacity, no matter what its nomenclature is. Well, sometimes anyway. I've had some problems with that sync app too. I'd, li- I'd rather have a dedicated app that was meant just for that because it's so bloated. It's so big. Uh, hey, folks, our goal each month is to get one more patron than last month. That means uh, we need you to become a member of Daily Tech News Show. Right now, we're about a dozen less than last month, and you're missing out if you're not a member. You didn't get the Editor's Desk episode on Wi-Fi 6 that came out on Friday morning. If you're like, I don't know what Wi-Fi 6 is. I don't know whether I need a new router yet for that. Will I be able to take advantage of it? Those questions were all answered, and you can access that episode right now by becoming a member at patreon.com slash DTNS. And if you have feedback for us, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Patrick Beja. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.